freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. everybody. Welcome to episode number 343 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearmsauctions.com, where you set the price on guns, ammo, and accessories. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme today is Stand Up and Lead. Our guest is Jeffrey Bodkin. Jeffrey, along with his son, own T-Rex Arms and are very serious about training and arming the modern-day Minuteman. He hosts the podcast Stand Up and Lead. Jeffrey understands the need for us to articulate misspelled truth and lessons about family dynamics and the strength of the family institution. His work in progress includes a documentary on the role families can play in the development of civil society. He's also published, he also publishes materials through the Western Conservatory of the Arts and Sciences, Science, primary to lead in the United States, Europe, and Africa for leaders in Africa. Absolutely. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey Botkin. Well, I am really grateful for the invitation. Thank you for having me. Good to see you both. Absolutely. I have been so excited about this interview because of a specific, uh, the first one of your podcast episodes that I became aware of, I had several friends sending it to me. And it actually took me a little while to, to figure out, okay, who is this man speaking? Because, you know, sometimes people will send just a, a clip. And uh, so then once I discovered uh, your, your website and your podcast, I dove in and I, I watched several but the episode was called When Cops Run Out of Ammo, and it focused on the cautionary tale uh, that South Africa has become for, I, I believe, for the United States. Um, and I just wanted you to dig deep into that, unpack that for us, and kind of talk about um, what the heck is going on in South Africa, and are the police over there really like running out of ammo? Mm, oh, yes. Yeah, in, in one of the most recent uh, conflicts that they had with rioting, which was not too dissimilar from what we experienced in 2020 in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, they did run out of ammo. And they ran out of, out of ammo very quickly and very early. And But the, the lesson that we need to take away from this and learn from this, things did not just tip over in South Africa overnight. Uh, the, the history goes way, way, way back, uh, really to the Reagan administration, when the Soviets had a real strong interest in gaining control over South Africa through a communist government. Well, the, the communists were very weak in that country at that time, back in the 1980s, but there was a party. It was called the African National Congress, and they, they existed as a party. 
Uh, they wanted to use Nelson Mandela and his wife as kind of the, the, the heads of that party. And the Soviets realized that if they could leverage something called critical race theory to mm. overthrow the entire society, they mm. could accuse the ruling government of being these horrible white uh, supremacists, these white racists who needed to be replaced. So they organized very carefully. And this is I'm talking about the the secret police, of the Soviet Union. They organized a campaign to enable all the Western media to become suckers for that idea that there, there is an unrighteous government in South Africa that needs to be replaced with, of course, the progressives represented by the African National Congress who will come in and make everything just, everything right, everything peaceful and everything just fine. So the media got on board and the agenda was to get every country in the world to boycott everything about South Africa, South African trade, progress, their goods, uh, in South Africa, the economy was gigantic. It was booming. There are manufacturers of, of many very complicated well, technologies and automobiles. And, you know, when you look at the, you know, the, the continent of Africa, how many countries actually do that? Well, South Africa has been a leader. In fact, most people don't even realize that South Africa, even at that time, was a nuclear power. They had mm-hmm. seven nukes. Most people don't, don't realize that. I didn't so, know that. So one reason, okay, so what, why did the Soviets so dearly want to get a hold of and control South Africa, the entire government of South Africa through their little puppets? Well, it was because it was a nuclear power. They did have nukes, but even more importantly, they had the trace minerals all across the country, all across South Africa, that the Soviets needed to continue manufacturing their own military weapons. So, um, and South Africa was not, friendly to the Soviets at that point. They were friendly to the United States. They were friendly to the government of Israel. And it was through those two nations that South Africa actually did become a nuclear power. So what we saw was the leveraging of critical race theory to weaken the government, to overthrow and displace the the current sitting government back in the 1980s, replace it with a communist government, which has been in power since then, continuously. And then continuing to erode and destroy the strength and the uh, and the and the well the, uh, the the integrity of the entire government. So the police are weak, the military is weak, the intelligence services are weak, the economy is weak. Uh, everything has weakened a little bit more every single year. So uh, with uh, a declining tax base because so many people have fled South Africa and the businesses are doing so badly because the welfare economy has just gone through the roof. Uh, The police are not really very well funded. They've been largely defunded. So they didn't have very much ammunition to begin with. But when the riots began, uh, the squeeze was felt. Some of the police um, simply left their posts. They betrayed their posts. They joined the looters and began looting. But there were uh, there was a significant number of them who were patriotic, strong, serious, and they risked their lives to try to protect their fellow South Africans, keeping to their posts, you know, running out of ammunition. And then here's what they did as a solution. They went to their fellow citizens who were prepared and patriotic and said, you got to help us. Uh, could you please stand with us against the chaos and the rioting and, and, and the warfare against our, our, our society? And could you share your ammo with us? And that's what happened. And the patriots actually did that. They dug deep into, 
in, into what they had, and they shared it with the police up until a point. Mm-hmm. And, but then, you know, the point comes where they think of themselves, well, you know, I want to help my police force, especially these really noble, these noble men who are trying to do their job as they swore to do their job. But we can only do it for so long. We've got to retain a supply of our own ammunition for our own safety to protect our own families. So that, that's what happened. They shared their ammo at the beginning, and then they held on to their ammo, but they joined forces with the police, making barricades around the city, trying to protect the utilities, the, uh, the cell phone towers, the airports, the hospitals, and because the rioters were bent on destroying all of those things. And then moving into the neighborhoods and looting the neighborhoods. So, so that's what we saw happen there. And it is a lesson for us. But it goes back to don't surrender your principles to terrible policies like critical theory and critical race theory, which, which are, not, are not sound or valid political you know, theories or, or philosophies. Uh, and we have to stay away from those and protect the original foundation this country was built on. Yeah, Jeffrey, it, it, there's so much to add to this. I, first of all, I'm amazed that we're not seeing that today, that it's happening to us, but it seems to be making our government stronger, not weaker. Like, So that concerns me. And the other thing is that, that why, aren't we, why aren't we hearing about this? Why isn't it on the news? This should be on every channel, everywhere, that the police are struggling to get ammo because they're trying to defend what's right. Well, and the mm-hmm. results of that, which is absolute, your the video you posted, absolute chaos. Like, I mean, yeah. everything's burnt to the ground. Anything that's not burnt Why to the ground is being it? looted out. Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, because there's a political agenda. And it's the, for the same reason that when rioting began in this country, uh, the media had an agenda to protect the outlaws and to and really praise the wicked and then uh, and criticize those who might be standing for law and order, who might be, for example, standing in their front yards, like in St. Louis, that that couple, uh, those those attorneys who came out. Yes, they came out in the front yard with their weapons and just said, you can't tear up our personal property apart. We will protect it and we will guard it. Well, what did the media do? The, me- the media twisted the story. It made the homeowners and the property owners look look like the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it made the lawless looters look like the good guys. Mm-hmm. And so and so we can see that kind of twisting of the news. There will be blackouts of what's true. There will be twisting of what's true. And the media has been, and here's one reason for that. The media has been so carefully trained over the last two, three, four decades Mm -hmm. to be hard left and to follow critical theory because that is what is being taught in our government school system. That's what I learned when I was a student. I was, you know, I... I was raised up through the government school system to believe all those things and to have a Marxist worldview. That's what I grew up with. And then it was only after I, I, I came to faith in Christ in college that I began to take my worldview apart and try to re, relearn everything that I needed to relearn. How, we, how can we fix this when we can't educate people what's going on? Well, well, here's one way. And the American people are waking up to this right now because the biggest influence to take us down into the gutters for where we are today has been the government school system. So thanks to the new COVID policies that, that have been uh, put forward by you know, the recent government, 
parents are beginning to pull their students out of the government school system, mainly for, for medical protection and for physical protection and, and for medical reasons. And they're discovering that they can have academic freedom at home, that they can teach their children at home. And so the number of, of homeschooled students two years ago was about 2.5 million. That number has grown to 6 million now. What needs to happen is that the government school system needs literally to be dissolved and come down. That's, that literally is what needs to happen right now, today. And so one way for that to happen, and, it's, and let me just say this, it's not to run for school board and try to reform the schools. The schools have never belonged to us since the days of Horace Mann. They never have. Mm -hmm. And so the thing, the thing that must be done is they need to be closed down and there needs to be the private alternative and the homeschool alternative, which is what existed in the country when we had 98% literacy in this country mm. from the beginning, the 1600s through the 1700s, right up until about 1830, 1840, when Horace Mann and some of his colleagues began to create this thing called forced government schooling, what we call now public schooling. That is a recent development. We did not have that in the country. So in, if we want to replace the, the crooked and rotten foundations with what is true and good and right, again, we, we simply have to close down those systems. Parents have, have must stop feeding the system with their children. They have to get it out and go back to a free alternative that's pro-parent, you know, pro-patriotism, pro-truth, pro-academics, and, and enjoy all those freedoms again. And so look at all these millions of parents who are doing it now, they're discovering that. And I happen to know uh, many hundreds of families who are homeschooling, because my wife and I did that, because we had grown up in the government school system, we knew we'd never put our children into it. And mm -hmm. over the years, we've met hundreds of families who've done it. And those children are very well socialized, way far ahead of their peers, and great successes. Well, like my children who are working in, in T-Rex arms right now, Never been to school a day in their life, and yet they're 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 run you know running a multi million dollar corporation, doing very well at it, being leaders in the community, and this is and I, and we know many families who have stories to tell like those. Wow. I I That's totally phenomenal. believe everything you're telling me, and and I agree with it. The thing that's scary is that there's such a monster out there. the The school system is is it's going to be hard to knock down. Well, well it, one person at a time pulling back, right? Yes, right, right. And and really, it doesn't even really need to be knocked down. It just it ceases to exist when parents just leave it. It just it's gone. You know, there's no there's no there's no no place for the federal money to go because there's no classes. There's no there's you know there's empty school buildings. And so that that's really where we have to go and what we have to work on and what we can achieve simply by not putting the students back into the system every fall. And so, so that's, that's what I recommend. And, and if we want to be as serious as the Soviets were when they grabbed hold of South Africa mm. and they were very serious about it, they achieved their goal. They achieved a goal that was spiritual and political. Mm -hmm. We have to do the same thing and it's going to cost us. Yeah. The one reason that most families don't do it, they want two incomes mm -hmm. in their homes. And, and I just have to say, look, tighten your belts. This is war. Your, your lives, your fortunes, and your sacred honor has to be preserved. And yeah, you're going to lose money, but this is a war that's worth it. You, you absolutely need to make those sacrifices for your children and for the government and, and for, for our country. Wow. You know, I look back at my school. I, you know, I started in the late 50s going to school. And, and I, after what I'm learning now, I didn't learn anything in school. They didn't yeah. teach us the Constitution. They didn't teach us our rights. 
They didn't teach us how, how to do a, check a checkbook. <laughs> they didn't teach us anything. So really why? And, and families need to look at if you self-teach your kids, you have more freedom to go on trips. Mm-hmm. You have more freedom. to. Right. I mean, we have that problem. We have two grandkids. So when we want to go on vacation, we only go whenever we can go. I mean, it's, it's not like we can schedule. Well, we can't go because the kids are in school. We can't go because of this or that. And the freedom from homeschooling, it, you're going to get more right. time. Oh, wow. You, you know, we had such a wonderful adventure doing it as our family. We had, you know, five boys and two girls and we could, we just, we did school whenever we wanted. And, and again, all those forgotten things that were, were not taught, uh, we taught our children so that they would be able to function in society. They would be able to, when they would say, hey, dad, you know, what should I be when I grow up? And, I, and well, what do you want to be when you grow up? They would talk about it and think about it and look at the society around them and say, you know, fireman, soldier, whatever. And, and we would, we would in, uh, enlarge their visions and say to them, well, wait a second, instead of working for someone in some of these positions, why don't you think about being the employer who actually gives jobs, creates jobs, makes jobs for these people, or with my son, Lucas, you know, instead of being a top tier, you know, special operator in the military, why don't you become one of the teachers who teaches the top tier soldiers in the American military? And it it enlarged his vision. And yeah, by the time he was 24 years old, he was doing that. Never been in law enforcement, never been in the military, but they were coming to him for training because of his character, because of what he'd learned, because of what his discipline, what he was able to teach himself. And he really was superior to most of the other trainers in, in, uh, you know, in the military. So, and they're still doing that. It's been, but it's been really great. We enlarge the vision for our children to go way beyond what the culture tells them they must be. And so that's what we discovered and that's what we advocate. And we've, uh, we have stories to tell that, that prove that can really work. That's phenomenal. I love that. It is hard um, to do homeschooling uh, just straight out of the gate, but many people do it. Many people learn how to do it. Uh, When we were on the COVID lockdown last year, and it kind of just fell to me because my schedule is the most flexible of, of anybody in the family to be trying to homeschool the, she was six at the time, first grade. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I have a lot of gifts and I felt like, well, this isn't one of them, but you know, you can find tools, you can gain uh, knowledge about how to be an effective instructor on things like how to read and, and start with math skills and those sorts of things. So um, it's hard. I mean, I'm not going to try to snow anybody. It's not easy, but it gives but you you're freedom. Saying it's worth it. It gives you freedom too. Abs- and absolutely. And it's just like an investment for retirement. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Well, one thing that we learned about the difficulty of it is, is that the, um, the kids who do the best and the parents who do the best, you know, it's not having the parents who are really gifted in teaching or really know the tricks about teaching. It's all that's required is an ability to communicate with a child. And so if there are just simply lots of rich discussions going on back and forth between the parent and the child all the time on everything, the child is going to have a phenomenal education that's, that's full ord. And, and this is, this is the model that they've been following at Oxford and Cambridge in England for seven, eight centuries. I mean, they don't have classes. They don't have roll call. They don't have grades. They don't have exams. They have supervisors who sit down with the students and talk to them. 
that's wow. that's the curriculum. And so these students, these these teachers, don't have these little special tricks that they learn in teachers college. They just have wisdom and knowledge that they've gained in real life. And they sit down with the students and say, "Explain this to me. What did you learn from this book? How do you do? What is your opinion? Can you defend your opinion?" How can you write a paper on your opinion and, you, and let me grade your, your paper with you to see if you're a, a student of sound learning and you can think and you have wisdom. So this that's that's really all we did with our children. I mean, we, you know, we were public school kids, my wife and I. We didn't know anything because we hadn't learned anything. We had to begin teaching ourselves things, but the simply just talking to our children. Uh, from the you know age three four five six we taught them the english language you know every every parent does that in america yeah, and then true. it's it then teach them to read teach them to you know and it's and then they can teach themselves anything you know my oldest son in mm-hmm. t-rex arms it's we we came to a point where we needed robots in our co- company to help us go faster well how do you get a robot where do you buy one how do you program it how do you get it to do what you want her to do well my oldest son just said well i'll learn how to do it and yeah. because he taught himself so many things growing up as a yes. homeschool kid, he just yeah. he had full confidence. Oh, I can teach myself that. And my yeah. son, Lucas, who, you know, who's the shoot, shooter, a top tier shooter. He, that's what he thought. Well, I, I can just teach myself how to evaluate myself, take myself to the next level, evaluate that, take myself to the next level. And there's a confidence that they gain that will sustain them in life. Beautiful. We know people like that. Us, both of us are that way. We, you know, I didn't learn anything in school to teach me to be a successful business person, but we are. Right. Yes. And, it, okay. and, it, and it's because of my dad teaching me that you don't give up. Yeah. You yes. Know, you right. just, if you want to do something, you can do anything you want to do. Right. Teach you that in school. Mm-hmm. Did, did you go to school to, to become radio producers? Absolutely no, not. We, <laughs> okay. Either one and of them. We, right. And, so, and, you are, and you are really good at it because you taught yourselves how to do it. Well, thank you for that. And here's the thing is Danny has no college and I have a master's degree, not in anything that I do a, as our businesses, but in psychology, right? We are business owners, podcast um, runners, you know, we have hosts and, and, and uh, producers and I'm a public speaker. I go, you know, do advocacy and, and activism for our, our constitution, for the second amendment. None of those things were the things that I have right. any formal schooling in. So what you are saying, we have experienced for, from our own selves and that the, those are beautiful words. And I'm so thankful yes, thank you. for them to encourage us and to cur- encourage other parents. Um, and then with this whole idea that if, if parents are, you know, realizing that school is not serving their child the best, like the public school is not serving their child the best. Well, that's going to cause some degree of people, some percentage of people to pull back. And then there's this whole thing uh, with, you know, the COVID, um, the, the vaccine uh, mandates that's causing a lot of teachers to go, no, wait a minute. I'm, I'm not okay with that. So they're going to pull back. I, I don't think it is a, a off the mark idea to see that in not so many years, what we grew up with experiencing public school just won't be there anymore. And, and as you say, the tax dollars will have to go somewhere else or maybe just stay in our pockets. How would that be a bad thing, right? Well, that's, yeah, um, that's where, where it needs to get back to. 
And there, there have well, we there's so many topics you all want to talk about. We don't need to get into texts right now. Okay. <laughs> okay. But anyway, I want to. Yeah, it's a great rabbit trail, and and there are political parties around the world which are moving, uh, and they have platforms to try to move their nations to zero income tax. Mm-hmm. And there's there is a way to be able to do that mathematically. And yes, it would be freedom. And yes, the, and, and business people like you would be able to say, can keep every single dollar you earn to reinvest in your business and your community. Right. Exactly. And, it, and, and, and America would be stronger for it. Exactly. And, and offer more jobs for more people. It would right. be amazing. That'll be the next thing we talk about when we have you back on. Yes, but I want to ask, okay. uh, Jeffrey, I want to ask you, I mean, when did you sure. see that? When did you start seeing all this stuff happening that made you made the change to homeschool your kids and well, all that I, you know well just being a prisoner of the school system myself as a kid i hated it i mean it was i, I was being emasculated every single day i couldn't you know i was not allowed to do things i was being force fed information that i knew was wrong i was mm-hmm. being i was being taught the critical theory stuff and I was even being taught the critical race theory stuff in our inner city high school where, where I went, went to school uh, in the American Midwest. And so I, I knew it was wrong. I, you know, I, I knew that it was a political agenda. I knew that the public schools were created. And I've, I can't remember when I exactly found this out, but I was exhibit A. The public schools were created not to make people smarter and better, but to, to make them illiterate and more immoral. And that's exactly conform, and, and compliant, yes, with the government. Because you know, if I'm if I have zero character and I cannot take care of myself and I can't control myself, mm-hmm. I've got to have a nanny government to do that for me and 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 depend on them. So so my wife and I both knew because we had been victims of that whole system, there's no way we're gonna put our children into there. Now, as to how do you homeschool? We didn't know. We didn't have a clue for what we would do. But we knew we knew we loved our children. We knew we would talk to our children. We knew after age three and four, wow, you know, we have actually su- succeeded in teaching our oldest children the hardest language in the world, the English language. You know, just by hanging out with yeah. them, being at home right. with them, right. and doing chores with them, and talking to them, and so if we can do that, certainly we can teach them to learn, learn from books. And so, you know, we did other radical things: no television. You know, let's have let's be a family with books and learning books, and not not being indoctrinated by again that media, that organized media that has an agenda, mm-hmm. the same agenda as the government school system. So we moved that out of our home. And yeah, these are really radical things. And we had friends who said, you're absolutely crazy. First to be having children, you're, you're crazy to be doing what you're doing. And we said, yeah, we know we are, but we, we believe that we're going to be able to create little people who grow up into be adult people who act like adults and who, who, who can fix the things that are broken in this world. Right. And they have been, now they're adults and they have their own children. They're homeschooling their own children and they are fixing the things that are broken in this world politically and th- business way, economically, philosophically, and they're, they're educators too. I mean, and by that, I mean, you go to our website and you see the thing we really love at TRX Arms is educating people and informing people like you're trying to do with this podcast. Absolutely. So Jeffrey, if you, you have two kids, right? Seven. So yeah. Wow. Seven kids, 11, 11 grandchildren at this okay. point. Oh, yes. So you have blessed. seven kids. Congratulations. If you and your yeah. wife, if you and your wife left the face of this planet tomorrow with everything you own, could your seven kids survive on their own? 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. They not only that, but they there are over, I think it's now 300 people, 300 souls who depend on, uh, you know, my sons who are running T-Rex arms for their livelihood, for their income. And so my sons are very happy to be able to be taking care of them. They not only take care of themselves. Yeah. And they're doing great. They're doing fine. They have zero debt. They have everything that they need to survive. Um, They they have also stuff like you guys sell in your stores and plenty of it. And they, um, uh, they would be they would be really well off. And, you know, and that's one of the things we wanted to impart to them before, you know, at a, at a very young age. So they are standing on good, solid financial found great foundations, you know, biblical foundations, which gives them the wisdom to live life and, and also uh, the foundations of wisdom to raise their family, raise their children and even to be able to lead others. So stand up and lead is, is basically what I'm encouraging you know, you know, every American to do. Don't just be a follower. Don't just be dependent. Don't be compliant on the government, but stand yeah. up and lead in a good way to re- rebuild the things that are broken. Mm-hmm. And that's why I asked you that question, because you have done your job. Mm-hmm. You're really done. Mm-hmm. You've done yeah. it. Yeah. Success. And, then, and how, how amazing is that to know that when I leave this planet, that my daughter has knows how to do the things that need to be done. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It it, 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 I mean, it is. And, and so we, you know, with, with that vision in mind, as they, as they were little, Hey, you know, teach them to drive at a young age, teach them to shoot a gun at a, teach them to balance a checkbook at a young age, teach them to be frugal with money at a young age, teach them to save, teach them to be good investors with money, good investors with their time. I mean, all these things that they learn at age 10, 15, 20, you know, those are the things that will keep them going with wisdom and security, you know, for the rest of their lives. They don't need daddy. They don't need daddy's uh, inheritance, financial inheritance to keep them going. They're, they're all very well off as, you know, as individuals right now, they, you know, they certainly, they don't need to depend on that. They don't need to depend on uncle Sam for anything. And so, because they're standing on their, their, their feet, you know, and they, and they, and they know who they are. They're self-aware. They know where they're headed in the future. Absolutely. And I I think we've covered actually the second question I had for you is that, you know, what is the purpose and mission of your stand up and lead organization? Have have we just been talking about that? Yeah, we have. And and, uh, one thing that we discovered at T-Rex Arms, you know, we there's a whole lot of young guys at age 18 through 35. That's basically who our clientele is and our, our constituency is. And but these are guys we've discovered who mostly grew up without having a dad or having an engaged father in their home. Mm -hmm. And so they're entering into adulthood, not knowing about these things we just talked about. How do I make money? How do I keep a job? How do I, you know, how do I please an employer with an honest day's work for the money that he's giving me? How do I get from here to the next step in my life? How do I save money and not waste it on toys? Mm -hmm. And, and so, so one, one thing that I'm saying to them is, Hey, look, you guys, don't just survive to get by. What you need to do is, is so rise up, get some steel in your backbones and get some morality in your lives that you can be the leaders of your generation. Don't just be the followers. Don't just be the people who depend on the government. You need to rise up and be the leaders to show everybody else which way to go. And it's going to take courage first to stand up and then courage then to lead. So what I, I give them on my website are, are the tools for that, tools on how to think how to think rationally, how to think morally, 
and then say, okay, here's how you get the, the, the courage then to move forward and actually lead once you have that. So that's, that's what I'm trying to give them with stand up and lead. And, you know, and I get letters every single day from guys going, man, this is so good. I never had a dad to tell me this. Thank you for telling me this. So I'm, I'm just trying to enlarge my influence with men who are really grateful for this kind of input and then to spell it out for them in ways that they can understand. So for, for any of you who are watching and you want to share that link with other young men that, you know, um, who, you know, who've missed out on some of these very basic lessons in life. You, it's, you know, stand up and lead on the, on the, uh, on YouTube, just go to stand up and lead on YouTube and you'll find it. That's awesome. And uh, it's shocking that YouTube is allowing you to. <laughs> well, they, they <laughs> have, they, they've banned some of my videos. They've canceled some of my videos and, and I, it, and the, the other place people can contact me is jeffreybotkin.com. And there will be s- stuff there that, will never go on a big platform, a big tech platform uh, that is a, is a whole lot more useful. And we can we own and control that those servers. And so we'll, we'll keep information coming out there on some of these really uh, very difficult issues right now with employment, with uh, med- medical mandates and so forth. Yeah. Uh, and even some of the firearms stuff that YouTube will not allow any longer. So uh, the other, and I also mentioned uh, T-Rex Arms and our YouTube channel there. My son, Lucas, is, is the kind of the primary educator over there at that channel. And, uh, and his stuff is very helpful too. Good uh, free firearm training for people who are uh, first-time gun owners. Uh, he, there's a lot of that there. And there is some other information about uh, how to become the kind of leader that our patriots were. You know, the kind of of dependable minute man that we used to have in our communities. Absolutely. And uh, when you say minute man, I mean, I I can guarantee you there's a huge swath of our audience that has never heard that or they have heard it. Maybe they don't understand it or maybe someone has misinterpreted it for them. Right. Yes. What would you say is a, a modern day minute man? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is, I'll, I'll try to condense this down because it, it covers several centuries of history. Uh, when, when the Bible finally made it into Western Europe and into the United Kingdom, one of the principles that was there in the Bible is that a king can never have a standing army, a big standing army, lots of soldiers and chariots and horses and uh, just to use whenever he wants to use. I mean, because what is he, he's got to do? He's got to tax all the people to keep those boys fed. And then if he's got a standing army, he's probably just going to use it because he's got them. Mm. So, so the rule from scripture is no king, no kingdom, no country can ever have a standing army, period. So how does a country then protect itself against evil, you know, encroachments, incursions, enemy attacks, and so forth? And, and the answer is the Minuteman. And this goes way back. King Alfred understood this in the 900s AD. And then his, he taught this to his sons and his grandsons, and they taught it. Down, down through the ages, what you do is you require every able-bodied man in your kingdom, and that's usually from age 13 to 65 or so, to have military weaponry and train with it. And so then if there's a war that comes up, and the, well, those are your soldiers. Everybody, all those able-bodied men, they're Minutemen, they've got their stuff, they've got their weapons of offense, which might have been a bow and arrow, mm-hmm. you know, and a gambeson, which might have been his defensive armor. Mm-hmm. And he was ready to just put that on a minute's notice and report for duty to his local commanders that he would he would elect 
and they'd be ready to fight the enemy. If it was the French attacking the English, they'd be ready in a moment's notice. That Those were the Minutemen. But hear what I just said. They were regular citizens. They were not part of the military. They had military weaponry. They, and that this is really critical. Whatever was the state-of-the-art weaponry of the time, like the longbow, the British longbow, and that was a military weapon that could reach out many, you know, hundreds of yards and kill the enemy who was wearing armor. So they had military-grade weaponry, and it was ready at a minute's notice. So you move up through history, and you see the kings coming up with these edicts from time to time. If, if the populace was getting a little bit lazy, and instead of training with their weaponry, they were doing things like, for example, playing sports on the weekend. Um, the king would come out and say, hey, wait a second. Remember your duty to stay sharp with your weaponry and train. And sometimes there would be a fine if, if they weren't doing that. You know, the local sheriff would fine a dad and a son if he wasn't training with his weaponry. And so and then the edicts would say, and by the way, here's the weaponry you need to have this kind of weapon, this kind of armor, this kind of helmet, this kind of, you know, bullets, you know, as we came into the, the gunpowder age, the kings would say that this kind of, you've got to have this kind of gun. You've got to have this many rounds. And when the Americans started the colonies, you know, in, in, uh, in the 1600s, all those colonial governors did the very same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we did, there was no standing army, but every community had a militia. And all the governors said, okay, here's the, here's the weapons you need to have. You, you need to have your long rifle. You need to have this much, this much ammo, this many bullets that you make at home by yourself. Uh, you need to have some defensive weaponry on, you know, defensive armor of some kind. And you, need, and you need to have a knapsack with this much stuff in it so that you can throw it on and be ready to march and serve your colony if there's a disturbance. And, and most of the time it was Indians Sometimes it was the British. When the British came, our, our guys, because they had been training from such young ages with their, their muskets, they, they, they could oppose the most expensive trained military in the world. And here's what happened. And we, we, have the, we have the records to show this. Our boys, who were civilians, killed two soldiers, two British soldiers for every one that they killed of ours. Because oh, wow. we were better shots. Right. We were better because, trained. Better trained. So that's what a Minuteman is. He's ready. He's a civilian. He's ready to go at a moment's notice. He has military weaponry and he trains with it. That's a Minuteman. So, one thing we want to do at T Rex is tell all American civilians hey, guys, you need to be just as responsible. There's still just as much evil in the world. We cannot depend on a standing army. Standing armies can be twisted and perverted politically, like we're seeing happen right now. You know, let's send our soldiers here or withdraw our soldiers from here. No, the, the way it should work is that all those boys should be part of a local militia. And in our state, Tennessee, I mean, we still have that local militia. People are just forgetting about it because of misuse and disuse. Mm -hmm. And so that that's what it really should be like. And so we say to all these young men, hey, get yourself some military weaponry. Get yourself some ammo. Train with it. Be ready, because I do think there will be militias that are reinvigorated in this country, um, all across the country in the next two to three years. Well, um, I mean, if you just look at where we started, South Africa, the police forces were weakened, they're low on ammo. I mean, the police themselves could reach out to the local Minutemen and say, we have a problem and we need your help. So. Right. 
I mean, that right there um, could very easily happen. I do not disagree with you. We are so tight on time. We and need I to still, have him on for like five hours. For reals. Okay. We will definitely ask you back on. Um, sure. But there, there are two big um, topics I still want to try to cover um, kind of quickly. One is about this whole David Chipman nomination to sure. head of yeah. the ATF. You know, you talk about an unelected uh, body. It's a regulatory mm-hmm. body. It right. has incredible amounts of power over our individual freedoms. And, you know, the current administration thought this very politically driven man named David Shipman would have been just great at the job of heading that up. Um, thankfully, that nomination has been withdrawn. Um, but, you know, especially with your, your experience, with your education, of, of what you've watched around the world right. with owning T-Rex arms. What, what are your thoughts about that whole thing with the ATF? Right. Well, I mean, what we see when, when, uh, when power is the most important thing to a particular government, you know, not morality, not constitutional law, but they want raw power, they will use every lever they can for it. And the greatest levers they've got are these regulatory agencies. Well, like the CDC, yeah. Like, you know, the FDA, like, mm-hmm. you know, the CDC was, um, you know, just a month ago, reaching into what homeowners had their homes and saying, you, you can't run your home the way you want to. We're going to tell you how to run your home. Well, the FDA is doing that with medicine. The ATF is doing that with gun owners and what they own. And so basically they will take every single the government, an unscrupulous government like the Biden administration, will take every agency that's been created that's outside the Constitution and has all these regulators. I mean, the IRS would be one example, too. And and they will get the most unscrupulous person at the top of that who will just bend every rule and actually have an antipathy toward that person. Like with the ATF, Chipman had an antipathy toward gun owners. And so it wouldn't bother him at all to really stretch every rule to withdraw as many rights from gun owners as he possibly could, uh, you know, with a kind of glee, uh, you know, as he did it, uh, because he's an unscrupulous man with a mean streak. And so that's who they're trying to find to operate every one of these agencies, you know, and and Dr. Fauci would be in that category of person. So basically all we're seeing is the rallying of, of all these agencies that are unscrupulous. And they're they're not governed by the state legislatures as they should have been. And yeah. you know, they, we made the mistake of allowing them to even be created in the first yeah. place. They are unconstitutional. They should all be dissolved. Yeah. But but essentially, the ATF was just is one uh, very intimate example to you all and to us and our company that they just simply wanted to use and abuse that agency to harm us and hurt us remove as many restrictions as they could, uh, you know, that against themselves and then remove every freedom they could from us that are based in the constitution and the second amendment. And that sure. was the goal. That, that was Chipman's goal. He's going to, he was going to hollow out the second amendment totally. So it would have no more meeting. And the guy that they will nominate next, he'll be a similar sort of guy, but probably a lot more polished yeah. a lot more political. He'll know how to, you know, to look a little bit more uh, careful and circumspect in the way that he speaks, yeah. but he will have the same kind of heart attitude toward the second amendment. 
I agree with you a hundred percent. And the most recent example of using a regulatory body is Biden's uh, reliance on OSHA, right? right. OSHA yes. to mm-hmm. try to reach into businesses and say, if you have this arbitrary right. number of employees, a hundred or more employees, then you have to, uh, under the threat of a fine, you have mm-hmm. to enforce uh, this mandatory, you know, vaccine situation. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah. out of control. I it, could not agree it, with it you. It is. That. Now, fortunately, here's what's happening. I mean, in that situation, because it affects 100 million Americans, you know, workers in the private sector, the, there are lawsuits coming up that are pointing out truths that OSHA has never been given the authority by the U.S. Congress to have that kind of authority to govern businesses. Yes. And so once that becomes you know, revealed and it's proven in court, then that, that mandate will just go away. But, yes. it, but we're going to have to fight for that to see it because they're, they're pushing at every little border they can to get more power and to see if we'll, we'll just comply. Like Dan said, we, you know, we'll just be the compliant American again and just comply and go, OK, well, I guess I need to get all my employees to be tested every week and pay for all those tests every week. That, that's what they're pressuring the, the employers to do. Well, they're doing that with uh, locally with the the uh, health department for restaurants. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you don't, yes. you know, if you don't do this, then they'll close you down. So it's it's you're right, and mm-hmm. you get some kind of person that thinks they want to control things to be the head of the health department in your area, and they can be hell on you. Right. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. So, but 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 as people are pushing back. You know, and there there are people just, you know, quitting. And, you know, when the employers are actually following along and being compliant and the employees are saying, you know what, I don't want to work with such a cowardly employer. They will find new new jobs. And and, uh, in fact, there I mean, we're we're seeing that matchmaking happen right now. There are employers out there who are brave and courageous employees who are and they're finding each other and they're going to they're going to reshape the U.S. economy. Well, that. one of the mistakes is that the ATF is small. They, we, you know, how many federal firearms licenses are there in the United States? Whatever, it's it's not a big number. But when you talk about yeah. OSHA, now OSHA affects almost every business out there, and the number. So I could see that they're going to lose that battle easy. But it's hard being an FFL holder. Yeah. You know what can right. we do? What can we do? There's not enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we've mm-hmm. got three minutes left, and I have okay. one more question, and. Yes. It's not about the ATF. This is taking us back to world events. We started Mm -hmm. with South Africa. Um, Most people are unaware of what's happening there, but we have a lot of eyes on the embarrassment and the horror of what's going on in Afghanistan. From your experience, uh, what what are you seeing with that? And I've given you like three minutes to do this, which isn't fair, but what are you seeing is next for okay. what's happening in Afghanistan. Right, okay, and and let me just t- tell your, your listeners that uh, there is some good information on this, on, even on my YouTube channel. I've been able to put some of the history of Islam on there and some of the history of Afghanistan on there, which will be able to help people. But here's, here's the short summary. Uh, America has been involved with Islam since uh, George Washington's day, since, uh, since Thomas Jefferson's administration, we actually got involved in trying to depose one Islamic government and stick another Islamic government in there, which was a really bad policy and a huge mistake. Uh, 
The only American president who's really understood Islam well was John Quincy Adams, who studied it carefully and left us his records on that, which are absolutely accurate. And and yes, the Islam that he studied is the same Islam that we're seeing today in the 57 Islamic nations. Afghanistan is now number 58. Afghanistan is going to become and be just like all the other ones, governed by Sharia law. Uh, they're going to exploit whatever resources there are in the country. They're going to strip the country bare. They'll turn the country basically into a desert, an unproductive desert, where the people are, are to live in fear and terror every single day, especially the women and the children. Yeah. They're the ones who are always hurt and suffer the most in those nations. So that's where Afghanistan is headed. And yeah. in any in any other country that's being subjugated by Islam today. Now, what most people are not watching is that Islamists are going and moving in, peacefully moving into Europe to subjugate those countries and turn them into Islamic countries. In fact, many of the many of the migrants who are going in there have been told by their, their Muslim relatives, we've already conquered Belgium. We've already conquered the United Kingdom. It's, it belongs to us now. It's an Islamic country now. And when they arrive, when they arrive there, it looks very much like it is. The Muslims basically do call the shots politically on what's going on. You know, the mayor of London is Muslim. I mean, the uh, many of the the leading politicians and bureaucrats are Muslim, and and so they're they are being quietly subjugated, and it and it is an Islamic doctrine that you can do that. You can do it by the sword violently. And spill blood, or you can do it peacefully by hijrah, which is peaceful migration. You move in and you just take over, and you have babies and you build mosques, and and so that's happening, and it's also happening in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And and those who are in, in charge of our immigration do not understand Islam. That's the mistake we made with Afghanistan. We didn't understand Islam going into there. We played around with Islam. We didn't really study it the way John Quincy Adams did, mm-hmm. and so. Those who are bringing the migrants into the United States now are not studying Islam to see what the repercussions will be in the United States when we do that. So have I stayed within my three minutes? You have done beautifully. And I hate to have to jump off on that because I have so many questions and I know my listeners will as well, but you've given us a tool to go to your YouTube channel. And, you know, there will be people out there that the minute you, you say, you know, anything about Islam, they get their haunches up and they say, you're being anti-something, right? Uh, I don't know that you're being anti-something. All you've said is, you know, this is what has happened. This is what is happening. You've not qualified it saying if it's good or if it's bad, you're just saying it is. And so you've left it for other people to, to determine for themselves, to do their own research and figure out what they feel about it. Yes. And, and Cheryl, just as a point of clarifier, yeah. Myself and my family, we, we don't hate anybody at all. You know, no. we feel extraordinarily sorry for those who are in Af- Afghanistan now who are being put under the, the heel of Sharia law. Yes. We, we, we feel very bad for them. Yes. And, and so um, we, we welcome any Muslim migrant who wants to get out of Islam, save his life and come, you know, come to a place that's safe. We actually do provide, as, to the best of our ability, shelter and refuge for people like that. You know, Muslims, lifelong Muslims who want to get away from it. You know, we're, we're very happy to welcome them and embrace them in, you know, in a place of freedom so they can experience freedom. So I just, you know, I hope that's a good clarifier for everyone. 
I, I think you did it beautifully. Absolutely. Jeffrey Botkin, thank you so much for all the work you're doing. Thank you for this wonderful educational and encouraging conversation. And please come on again. We need okay. to have, we need to hear more of this. Absolutely. Sure. All, right, all right. Sir. Well, thank, thank you very much. Thank you and Thanks, God Jeffrey. bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. Yeah, and um, we are way over time. We don't even have a time to wrap no, up. We don't. But but I, that I was incredible. Definitely want him back on again. I agree. I agree. We need to stop thinking no farther than the end of our nose. We need to expand our knowledge. And what expand is this? Our horizon. What is this about? When when you say something about something, when you question something because you want to learn, right? That you're all all of a sudden a racist or an evil person yeah, because you're the asking other side, questions. It uses a cheap trick and a cheap tool to shut people down right. and make us be quiet and compliant. And that's not how we're built. And so um, that that's all I can say about that. But we've got to wrap, Dan. We got to wrap. All right. Uh, thank you again so much to Jeffrey Botkin and to all of our amazing guests, all of our awesome listeners all over the world. If there is internet service, we have listeners. Your time is your most valuable commodity. When you spend it with us, we absolutely value it. You Thank can listen you so on much. YouTube. You mm -hmm. can listen on uh, OpsLens. Mm -hmm. So um, GunStreamer and on our, uh, those are video platforms. If you want the audio only, it's on our website, gunfreedomradio.com. Click the on-demand tab and binge listen to your heart's content. Until next time. Pray for your nation. Pray for this. Pray nation. for your, pray for, um, you say leaders, but it's not, but pray for them. People in leadership positions, yeah. yep. please pray. How about the ones we don't like, Dan? Yep. Yeah. Pray for them. Especially those. Let's move on. Pray on. Right. Pray on. We got to go. <laughs> but you know what? Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you soon. Have a great week. Be good to each other, and God bless. Bye-bye.